Football is back, and to celebrate, DraftKings is hosting another free fantasy contest this weekend. $100,000 in total prizes are up for grabs, no deposit required. You heard that right, none. So put your fantasy knowledge to the test for free to win your share of hundred grand this weekend at DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the destination for one-week fantasy football. That means no season-long commitments. Play when you want with the players you want. Just pick your contest, draft your players, and follow your team live. Renew old rivalries with friends to prove you're the superior GM, or try 50-50 contests where the top half of all entries win cash. Whether you're a one-week fantasy rookie or a grizzled vet, DraftKings offers fun, fair, free contests for you all season long. Hurry to DraftKings.com now. Use code FTW and play free in this weekend's $100,000 fantasy contest. The contest is free, no deposit required, so there is no reason not to play. Again, use promo code FTW and play free for your share of hundred grand this weekend. Only at DraftKings.com, DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions may apply. See website for details. All right, let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Nate Scott, and this is the For the Win podcast. You're home to everything that's buzzing in the world of sports. My guest today is a very old friend of mine, and I'm stealing him back from my podcast because Bill Barnwell has stolen him from me. I knew you first. Uh, he's a former front office member of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's now just just a passionate fan. It's Dan Adler. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I'm stealing you in between uh, your classes, and I'm glad to do it. You're in your, uh, where are you studying? Some, some crummy school in Massachusetts? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm gra- about to graduate this year, so hopefully if, uh, if things go well, I can be a full-time podcaster after I graduate. Awesome. Um, I've known Dan since we were 14 years old. Um, back then, I was a skinny soccer player, and you were a, uh, a slightly less skinny cross country runner. <laughs> I was I was pretty fat. I was the <laughs> slowest guy on the I was the slowest guy on the team. They tried to bring in the cones before I was finished, uh, and my brother had to tell them that somebody was still out on the course. I I only bring that. I don't want to like make fun, but I only bring <laughs> it up because you literally wrote many articles in our high school newspaper about being a chubby kid running cross country, and you that's, owned it. That's my go to. That's my go to. <laughs> And so, of course, we're here to talk about the NFL because we're two guys who uh, clearly know such things. I uh, wanted to have you on to talk about NFL Week 1, some games that I watched closely. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit. I wanted to start with the team you used to work for and now, I guess, root for a little bit. I know you're a Browns fan at, at heart, but uh, Packers, Jaguars. I wrote an article critiquing Mike McCarthy. Was that unfair of me? I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you think of him as a head coach, purely from a game management perspective. Whew, this is a real den of cobras I've walked. Into. Yeah, one of sorry, my man. one of my goal one of my goals with this is to at least have the option to work in the NFL again. And saying super mean things about <laughs> very long tenured coaches is not a great not a great start. I think uh, I think Mike McCarthy's game management woes are very well well covered uh certainly there was you know, during this game there was one moment where uh, i believe it was fourth and goal on the two or so 
and he decided to kick a field goal, much to the consternation of Aaron Rodgers. And uh, I certainly probably align with Aaron Rodgers' view on that on that decision there. I think they have a really strong offense, and he probably could be a bit more aggressive there. Um, but in general, uh, somehow the guy has kept his job for a very long time, and uh, they've always been a solid team. So it's uh, I think the thing that's difficult about coaching is, from my standpoint, there's kind of this one thing that I think we can objectively or at least somewhat objectively judge, which is game management and uh, that's timeouts, fourth downs, things like that. Everything else is such a black box, so it's really hard yeah. to know whether he's kind of getting the best out of his players other than those things. So I think as, as a fan watching, uh, as somebody in the front office when I was with Jacksonville, it was really easy for me to criticize game management stuff, but that really is a relatively small portion of the game. So I'm not saying that uh, teams should just give up and not be good at that, but I think sometimes in, in the media it gets a little more coverage than it should, only because it's an easy thing to analyze. Of course, um, and, I, and I think you're exactly right. SI had a article this week that's really great by Michael McKnight. I, I encourage people to check out. Um, it's called Second Nature, Why NFL Coaches Are So Prone to Clock Management Blunders. And uh, they talk about it, how basically coaches, it's like being an air traffic controller. You've got things going, a lot of people, you know, you've got offense, defense, you've got coaches, you've got players to worry about, you've got injuries, you've got situations, you've got matchups you're thinking about, and, you know, calculating the best odds of, of what play to run in a certain situation, I think, is something that is difficult in real time and I can't imagine it you know it, it, it's something that when you're sitting on your couch it seems so obvious and then I just try and put myself in the headspace of an NFL head coach and it's really really hard to imagine making those calls in that situation which I don't understand why someone they don't just hire someone to do that some 18 year old kid who plays Madden all the time, but whatever. I, com- I completely agree I think the best coaches have the should have the humility to say there's too much going on there's no way I can possibly do this let's have somebody else let's kind of outsource this decision and even when you do that and that was one of my roles in Jacksonville was uh, communicating with the coach during during the game but even when you do that it's still difficult because there are 10 voices in that coach's ear so there's no perfect way to do it you even see some of the best coaches Bill Belichick, uh, I thought, made some pretty questionable clock decisions late in the game, not using his timeouts. It yep. didn't come back to hurt him there. But I think that uh, it's, it is really difficult. Maybe, maybe we should have uh, more, more Madden players. When, when I was in Jacksonville, one of the assistant coaches said that he used to watch his son play Madden and he would control the timeouts, and that was his way of, uh, way of learning game management. <laughs> um, otherwise... You know, I thought it was a good game. I, I, I was, I guess, pleasantly surprised how, Jag, how the Jaguars hung around. I thought the fourth down uh, execution was really great. Uh, what stuck out for you in the either side of the ball for the Jaguars in that game? So, I mean, the fourth down, and this is back to game management again. Going, I just railed on everybody for talking about the only thing they can judge, but that made me so happy. I was so proud of Gus to show, uh, show the gumption to – to go ahead and do that, that really was exciting. And I think a good template for what you have to do as an underdog, that not only do you have to take some risks, but they have to work out. And that's one of the big things that kept kept the Jaguars in the, 
in this game. And I think that also for the Jags, the defense, being able to hold Aaron Rodgers under 200 yards passing. Uh, now, granted, they didn't. The Packers didn't need to, you know, play catch up or go for uh, a huge number of yards. But that's a pretty big feat, especially considering where that defense was last year. So I think really positive signs. The Jags during the offseason invested a huge amount, both through the draft and in free agency, in their defense and started to uh, to see some of those uh, see the benefit immediately. Quickly, um, Blake Bortles took a big step forward last year. Looks to be continuing to play well this this season so far. What has he developed in the last year or so that has impressed you the most? Uh, I mean, I think he's. When you talk about Bortles, it's hard to separate from the wide receiving core that they've put around him, which I think is really, really solid. Starting with Allen Robinson, who was uh, targeted a lot of times this game, didn't have his biggest game ever, although came came to life a bit in the second half. But I think he's shown that he can be a guy who uh, makes makes pretty good decisions under pressure. And also he's had really nice touch on some of the long passes, which I think are one of the really underused uh, weapons for all football teams. Now, not every team can do it exceedingly well, but with, with the guys the Jaguars have, uh, his ability to uh, throw the ball up long and complete those is incredibly, incredibly valuable for them. All right, let's move on. Enough Jaguars talk. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's go to the Patriots and Cardinals. I didn't see that win coming. I didn't see Jimmy Garoppolo being able to sort of plug that seamlessly into what the Patriots like to do. I, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. He's been with the team for a while now. Um, you know, finding Edelman on those on those little undercut routes that are so freaking hard to defend. Were you were you surprised by Garoppolo's? Uh, I don't want to say poise, but the way that he was able to kind of keep the Patriots machine running. I definitely surprised, especially given the fact that the offensive line missing both tackles, couple rookies starting there, and missing Gronk, uh, who would be normally you would think a really great kind of outlet for a rookie, or not a rookie, but a first uh, first time starter. So really impressive, impressive game for uh, for him. All right, um, we don't have to blow smoke up the Patriots' tires. I mean, I, I you know. <laughs> To mix metaphors, there, I th- they're going to be good. It's, they're always good. I think that's I think that's safe to say. It's it's pretty amazing uh, that they could go into Arizona and you know at the end of the year there are always teams that we look back on and say, oh wow, I guess they weren't nearly as good as we thought coming in. And maybe there's a chance Arizona will be that team, but I think right now Arizona still seems like a very very solid team. So for the Patriots to miss not just Tom Brady, but a handful of other really important contributors do that on the road against a really good team is pretty amazing. So that's, yeah, but enough, enough smoke up there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's some, yeah. Cardinals, you know, I was looking this season, there's always the one team that won 13 or more games and then just regresses in a big way. And I will be honest. I didn't see that as the Cardinals. I just, I love that team. I thought that they were going to be fantastic this year and maybe, you know, just, the Patriots are freaking good. Uh, a team I'm a little more concerned about is the Chiefs. I'm not super high on the Chargers. The Chiefs did end up winning an OT. Uh, did the Chargers play well, or were you just uh, were you are you as concerned about the Chiefs as I am? I guess. 
That that game was sort of a microcosm of the Chiefs' season last year. Uh, that they started out really crummy and then somehow pulled it out, and it wasn't it wasn't terrible. Uh, you know, I didn't see enough of the game. I'd be I'd be lying if I if I made if I made things up. So uh, I can't really tell you whether if a Chiefs fan should be uh, on yep. the ledge or it's <laughs> it's okay right now. But the fact that they came back, I think uh, there's a temptation, especially after Week One. Uh, my friend Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders always calls it National Jumpsuit Conclusions Week, uh, and I think. There's a there's a temptation after this week to read so much into it, and then especially when you have a game like the Chiefs where it's way down and then way up. Uh, but it does seem like the Chiefs. I, I, this is purely anecdotal. It seems like they've had some games over the years, a playoff game uh, a couple years ago, where just humongous swings. And I don't know if that's uh, prone. Andy Reid uh, and Philly people always complained he didn't run the ball enough when ahead. So I don't know if they're more prone to some of these big swings within games, but I think it's it's too early to worry too much about the Chiefs. Let's talk about your Cleveland Browns. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's do it. <sighs> RG3 goes <sighs> down, shoulder injury. The They lose big to the Philadelphia Eagles in a pretty dispiriting game. Are you – first, let's, let's talk RG3 – First question, does he ever play for Cleveland again? And second question, are you okay with McCown stepping in? I think he probably – it seems like he's on the – now. I think they haven't designated him to return yet. I'm not sure if they put that designation on him. But he can come back in the second half of the season. And by all accounts, at least what I've read online, it seems like there's a good chance he would come back. Uh, now it's hard to know where the team will be. Maybe McCown is still playing then, and they're doing okay. Maybe Kessler is playing at that point. Uh, I think. I think at some point, given the fact that it's the Browns and they seem to have at least four different people start a game for them at QB a year, I'd be surprised if RG3 didn't at least get a couple of those starts. Yeah. But uh, so I think. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think. Very dispiriting from uh, for the Browns. Now, in the short run, I don't know if this actually makes them a worse team. I think McCown is uh, a much more of a known commodity in terms of what you're getting, and probably has a, a higher baseline than RG3 for what what they're trying to do. Having a late 30s McCown brother in there is not really the way to build the team in the long run, but maybe it will allow them to get more of a feel for what they have and some of their wide receivers. Uh, and other parts of their offense. I I couldn't believe he was 37 years old. I I know he's been around forever, but that blew my mind. Um, <laughs> that's not really anything interesting thought. I just was like, what? <laughs> uh, well, he has he hasn't played. I don't know how many how many games has he started career wise. He probably has the the starts of a 26 year old. <laughs> there it is. There's that Cleveland fine in the silver lining. I love that. Um, uh, yeah. So. I'm with you. McCown actually didn't play poorly last season. He didn't win, but he completed his passes. He he threw some decent balls. You know what you're getting with him. I, I don't know. They're not going to rush Kessler in there at any point, are they? I, it's hard It's hard to know. Clearly, they were much more high on Kessler than really anybody else. When they took him in the third round, I, most of the projections I saw didn't, uh, didn't think he was going to go quite that early. So clearly they like him. Hugh Jackson, I think, is a guy who's earned the benefit of the doubt with quarterbacks. Uh, 
even his Carson Palmer trade, which doomed him in Oakland, it turned out he was just a few years too early on the Carson Palmer renaissance. So maybe there's a chance later in the season they get in Kessler. I think it's really hard putting in a mid-round rookie with a team without a huge amount of talent. I if he plays really well, that's great. But if he plays, if he's kind of middling, I don't know where that puts you. Then you, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Mike Glennon a handful of years ago with Tampa, where he was actually kind of okay. They ended up taking Jameis anyway, and now Mike Glennon's a guy they feel fine about on their bench. Um, but it, so it's a little unfortunate that they won't get a chance to give Kessler some time to learn the system and really see what he can do. But Hey, those, those snaps are valuable in terms of learning, getting information. And I think you learn a lot more having Cody Kessler in there than you do Josh McCown, at least about the quarterback. Um, D Podesta isn't going to, isn't going to panic and trade three first rounders for Garoppolo in week five. Is he? (laughs) Seems, seems really, really unlikely. I think, uh, something I saw when I was in Jacksonville, because we went through a similar rebuild, not not nearly as extreme, uh, although you could argue the Browns had more talent coming in. But being, I always say that being bad in theory is a lot easier than being bad in practice. Yeah. It's really, really painful. So I I hope for the sake of, I really like, uh, I like their plan. I like, uh, personally, I'm just friends with a handful of people in their front office. I, I hope that they get a chance to see this through and, not not the best early news, but I think the, it, if they're not sticking with this through one game, uh, it really doesn't bode well for this long-term plan. All right, let's go to the Monday night games. First off, let's you know, national jump to conclusions week. Let's let's do some jumping. Am I crazy for <laughs> liking the Steelers as a Super Bowl pick? Uh, not crazy at all. I think coming in there, uh, one of the teams. I forget what their over under was, but it was quite high. I think they. They've shored up their defensive backfield a lot, which was a huge, huge issue for them. I think a lot of it will rest on if, if Roethlisberger can stay healthy. But Antonio Brown is so good so that those two guys alone, I think, can, can get them pretty far. And uh, you know, it turns out that they can kind of plug in D'Angelo Williams even, and uh, they can be really strong on the ground. That, that touchdown catch, I know it was overshadowed by the, the five pumps uh, that followed with the, the celebration, <laughs> but that catch – that's so hard to make, and he made it look just absolutely routine. You know, m- many, many, many NFL receivers drop that ball or don't even get their hands on it, and, and Brown made the catch and made it look extremely easy. I was I was sort of blown away by that. And, yeah, Williams, you know, I understand that they're going to have to put him on the bench when Le'Veon Bell comes back. But, man, the f- just having that second option there for – Anytime he's tired or just needing someone to get something going with a little wheel route or something, God, that's a that's a really nice weapon to have. For sure, and and we're not even uh, looking at their at their best guys. You've got Le'Veon Bell coming back in a few weeks, and Marcus Wheaton. I think both suspended for different things, but maybe the same thing. Uh, I mean, their offense only looks like it should get stronger as long as people can stay healthy. All right. Let's talk about the big one, 49ers-Rams. Well, not a big game, but sort of the, the national talking point game of the week, I guess. Uh, 49ers win 28 nothing, But effectively shutting down I'll – be, I'll be totally honest, I fell asleep in the second quarter, but I'm an old, tired old man. Uh, effectively shutting down all this talk that the 49ers are going to crumble over this uh, – these distractions of the Colin Kaepernick protests – 
something that Trent Dilfer talked about and Colin Kaepernick and the rest of the 49ers have pretty much shut it down. Why does this narrative continue in the NFL about distractions negatively affecting a team when it, it doesn't seem like that has anything to do with anything? I think it's a fun narrative to talk about. I think a lot of uh, pundits have room to fill in columns or uh, on their servers. And so, and if, if they played poorly, if this game went the other way, I cannot imagine the avalanche of pieces blaming the backup quarterback who didn't touch the ball during the game for, for this outcome. So I think that it's, it's fun to have a narrative uh, and that it's an easy one to grasp onto. I mean, actually the team on the other side, of this, uh, the formerly St. Louis Rams, if you remember, um, when, when they drafted Michael Sam, there was all this talk, is he going to be a distraction? I think, uh, inside locker rooms that these things don't matter nearly as much as, uh, as many fans would, would like them to. Yeah. I mean, a million things that go into a football game and something your backup quarterback said in an interview beforehand i doubt is really factoring into any of it you know um the whole thing seems so silly I, i'm i'm glad the 49ers won just as sort of a kind of a stomping on the narrative quickly are the 49ers good or are the rams just that bad uh it, that's a that's a good question i think the the 49ers seem a whole lot better than people expected them to be. I mean, before the season, by most people's accounts, they seem to be sort of a definitive number 31 and only ahead of the Browns in, in terms of where people expected them to finish. Uh, they certainly look very competent on defense. And, uh, and the offense going up against the Rams team, which is supposed to be really great defense, the offense, uh, Blaine Gabbert, uh, is a guy who was in Jacksonville my first year, super athletic, and was able to run the ball really well. They still didn't pass the ball all that well, so it's a little bit concerning concerning long-term there. But maybe I think the, the narrative around Chip Kelly that he sort of just totally lost it and was useless, I think he's probably not quite uh, – quite as incompetent as people were making him out to be. So I think maybe there's, maybe there's some room for some fancy scheming that can at least make this team uh, a respectable team. Yeah. Um, that's the thing, you know, Kelly is just so, I don't want to say bad with the media, but just like, I guess kind of bad with the media. Like he just, he's just not great at it. And he does things differently, which no one in the NFL ever likes. And he has a habit of, you know, perhaps unfairly having what he says be stupid and then be amplified because he does things differently. And I, and I think he also does have a little bit of a I know better than you kind of smirk about him at all times. And I understand why that might rub some people the wrong way. But I don't know. He builds cool offenses and they seem to move the ball pretty well. And, and that's exactly what happened against a Rams defense that was supposed to be pretty good. Anyway, what the hell's going on with Jared Goff? Why, why, why is he not even is – he, is he not dressing just so that the Rams don't have to listen to fans call for him to be, in, be the starter, or what's going on there? That's a good question. The, the early returns from, from preseason, everything you hear when I talk to friends in the league, people are just incredibly down on him. 
I think I always think it's a really interesting question when analyzing players. You know, you have whatever you thought of him before the draft from his career at Cal, from his pro day, and now we have a little bit more information from preseason where and practices where he didn't look that good. I wouldn't change my assessment of him a huge amount. I didn't absolutely love him coming out like the Rams did, but I think at some point during the year he'll play. Maybe this was a smart move for the Rams that – uh, they've set the bar really low for him. So when he comes in and plays, if they maybe put any points on the board, it'll be an improvement. Uh, Case Keenum, I think yesterday was about 3.7 yards per attempt. And I feel pretty confident that golf uh, by the end of the season will eclipse that number. Uh, so it, it is a bit concerning that, uh, that he didn't play. It'll be interesting to see with such a disaster of a game from Case Keenum, if the Rams feel pressure to run golf out there sooner rather than later what's what was the knock on him that was kicking around the league just inability to handle pressure what are what are people concerned about with him i think inability to handle pressure the decision making process uh it's i think an interest he was a guy who came in and people thought he had played a uh played an offense that was going to be pretty conducive to making the transition and that clearly has not been the case that's something i always question whether we actually are good at predicting those those type of transitions or not uh that certainly was a big plus plus for him but there's also a question of just the rams you know he looks like a quarterback he's from the state of california they're excited getting out to la i i find it hard to believe that that didn't play into it at least a little bit uh when when they decided to go for broke and make that move you know there's something i'm interested in with with quarterbacks and there's this idea that, you know, offensive coordinators and head coaches should build an offense that is the best for their quarterback. And I, and I, in theory, agree with that. You know, I think that if you have Colin Kaepernick, you should not be running the same offense as you do with Tom Brady um, or Ben Roethlisberger. That being said, there is sort of that line that there has to be sort of a base competence, you know, and, and you can't just build an entire game plan around someone who's incompetent when you might have other, I, uh, you know, things to do here. Are, are, are you surprised that the Rams basically just said, listen, we're not even going to try. Like, let's let this kid sit for a while and, and get going. Or do you think that they have an uh, sort of have an obligation given what they spent on him to try and build an offense that works? That's a really, that's a really good question. Uh, I think the Rams may have just felt like they didn't want to see him get, get embarrassed. And I think they're in a little different spot than a team like the Browns. Usually teams, when they take a quarterback that has this kind of hype coming in at the number one slot, usually they're not great teams. So they can kind of throw the guy in there and see what happens. Whereas the Rams, at least before yesterday, planning on having a really strong rushing attack with Todd Gurley and of course having a really strong defense. So I think the Rams really felt like they needed a guy who was going to give them a, the best chance to win right now and uh, feeling that golf wasn't ready, wasn't ready to do that. And so there wasn't a reason to design some offense that was maybe a scaled down version that he could do a little better if that was going to hurt the team. But I, it's hard to know. I'm not in the Rams, uh, Rams decision-making quarters to know uh, exactly, exactly what they're thinking. And I'd be really fascinated to know what they're thinking after, after today when the guy who was supposed to be sort of the stable, stable option uh, couldn't complete half of his passes and threw a couple interceptions. And yeah, it was, it was an ugly game. It was very ugly. Why, 
couldn't Gurley get going? That is a that's a good good question. I think San Francisco's defense looked really uh, really stifling. I think people they had all the re- retirements last year. People forget Navarro Bowman is a really good player, and mm-hmm. he was coming back from an injury. Maybe it kind of took him a full solid year to uh, to get back to where where he was. So. Maybe we've underestimated this uh, this Niners Niners defense somewhat. If you look year to year, defenses tend to bounce around and be way less consistent than offense. So it's not out of the question that San Francisco could actually have maybe even an above average to pretty good defense. All right, you got to go. So last question, or we'll do a couple rapid fires. What team surprised <laughs> What team surprised you the most this weekend? Well, this is recency bias here, but certainly the Niners. I wouldn't yep. have expected them to just be so dominating. Are the Seahawks okay? I think so. Again, don't, let's not jump to conclusions yet. Uh, they've they've had a sustained run of success. I think they'll be. Uh, I think they'll be fine. Who's the first coach fired? Ooh. That's a really interesting one. I feel like you need to make this make this multiple choice. I don't. Let me think about i have to kind of go through go through the league i'm turning around on you who do you who do you think is the first coach i wrote that mike mccoy is going to get fired first um and then that team looked pretty good i just thought with the (laughs) expectations and i just think he stinks um i guess jeff fisher caldwell mike mccoy who gets fired first (sighs) jeff i think jeff fisher if if things uh go like (laughs) yesterday jeff fisher just seems like a guy now his uh, everybody in the NFL is quite aware of the fact that Kevin Demoff, the COO, uh, who really is runs a lot of the football decisions there, um, is, his father is Jeff Fisher's agent. So it seems less likely that there would be sort of an embarrassing midseason firing there to help Jeff Fisher save face. But um, he's a guy who has had such middling results, and they expected a lot. So a few more games like this, and it's not totally out of the question. He, you know, hard knocks. Some some hard knocks. You walk away being like, "Wow, that head coach is a is a leader of men." And that guy, I would go to battle for. And then there's then there's Jeff Fisher. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, I I see what's going on here. Um, that's a little unfair. That shows whatever. Um, I didn't I didn't see enough of the show to uh, to form. A, I saw a half of an episode it, it hard knocks actually kind of just stresses me out because it feels like work to me um, <laughs> and, and in a good way for the most part but if somebody i don't know if you felt this way about newsroom or whatever the uh the me media insane. equivalent would be <laughs> yeah absolutely newsroom completely drove me insane i just watch it and be like that's <laughs> but at least yeah, hard knocks is sort of based in reality i guess in a, in a little bit of a way but i can understand why yeah, you for sure totally <laughs> interested in watching it yeah i'm just you know if jeff fisher looked at me and said once more into the breach dear friends i don't know i'd be like eh, i'm gonna i'm gonna go get a cup of coffee thanks jeff fisher <laughs> not exactly not exactly someone i would i would follow over the wall anyway adler man always a pleasure talking to you you're on twitter at what dadler what is it uh dadler 10 however my account is locked so uh, there's really not a lot to see from most okay. people. Uh, no one follow him on I Twitter. Have, I do have a, uh, a startup that is called uh, FanQuest, which is a uh, trivia and prediction game for fans at 
live events. We've worked with mostly minor league teams now, but you can check out our Twitter. It's PlayFanQuest or PlayFanQuest.com. I assume most of your listeners are minor league hockey team owners, so this is perfect for me. So those people especially should reach out. You would be surprised, sir, about how many minor league (laughs) hockey team uh, owners listen to the For the Win podcast. Uh, So everyone there, reach out to PlayFanQuest. Everyone else, just check out PlayFanQuest. PlayFanQuest.com. Dan, man, always a pleasure, and we'll get you on sometime soon to talk about our high school athletic athletic glories and and the good old days. (laughs) That would be just yours. My my (laughs) career was short and very poor. Uh, Nasty, brutish, and short. Thank you very much, Nate. Uh, Yeah. All right, Adler, man, I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right, bye.